You're listening to a podcast from Northeast Christian Church. For more information about Northeast, go to ncclex.org. Thanks for listening. I was thinking about the idea of peace, and you know, we're in this series, Unwrapped. We're talking about unwrapping the real gifts of the Christmas season. So we're going to treat peace like we did faith, where we're going to give a working definition of this term. And then we're going to see what circumstances are surrounding individuals that generate faith and generate peace. What happens to actually prompt peace in someone's life? And then near the end, I'm going to take a hard right turn, hard right turn towards some specific practical application. So be ready for that, okay? Sound good? Okay, so when I was preparing for this, an illustration hit me about 12 years ago. I was driving on my way to Bible college, and it's early morning. I've got this coffee, but it's in a new container. I don't remember if it was like a thermos or something else. I forget what it was. I just know that I used it very improperly. So I got scalding hot coffee there early morning, booking it, you know, like 62, 65 in a 55 zone, just trying to get to class as fast as I can. And I reach over, I get the container and I tip it up to take a drink. And as soon as I do, I recognize it was a horrible decision. I was unable to use this container because it singed my chin, the hair on my chin, all the way down my neckline. So, so badly, I turn off, go back home, wait for the doctor's office to open. I go in there, and he says, yeah, it's like a second-degree burn. You need some of this cream. He gives me this cream that's like a neon white. It's glowing. And I'm supposed to apply it like two or three times a day and for a week, 10 days, something like that. So I put the first round on, and I'm like, oh, this isn't going to work. This just isn't going to work. But I'm like, okay, I got to heal up and all that. So I'll put it on again. I'm thinking... I got class the rest of the week, so I've got this decision to make, and maybe you can start relating to the story. It's not this neon white cream, but it's something else for you. So I go the next day, pull up into the parking lot at Johnson Bible College. I got a class starting in about five minutes. I'm sitting there in the driver's seat. I've got my backpack ready to go, and then I've got this tube of neon white cream, and I'm thinking, what do I do? And I know this is probably no big deal to you, but if we, if we were to spin it and say, what's going on for you, then you would understand where I'm coming from, maybe. So I go ahead and I apply it all the way down. And I get my backpack, and with all the confidence I can muster, I walk into class. I walk there to the aisle, I find my seat, and I can see people looking. I can see people what's going on. I can see people talking. I can see people laughing and they're focused on this issue. Now, maybe that's the same for you. I mean, taking a first step, not just into a class, but into a church can be a big move. And maybe you're here this morning due to the invitation of someone or your own gumption or conviction, but you took the step and you got your metaphorical backpack and you walked in here with as much confidence as you could muster. And that's a big move for you. If it's your first time here, you've been here a handful of times, and you know walking in here that it's not this neon white cream, but it's something else for you. And it's the focal point. And you think or you just imagine that when you come in here, other people are going to see, that they're going to talk about it, maybe laugh, maybe question. Thank you for being here. 
We work really, really hard at this church to intercept everyone who walks through, through these doors. Am I in trouble? All right. This is weird. <laughs> How do you expect me to keep going with this going on? Okay. Thanks for that little tap. All right. <laughs> so where was I? Where was I? Oh, yeah. So we work really hard at this church, and we try to intercept everyone and anyone who comes through these doors wherever you are in life. So if you've got a focal point in your life and you think it's going to be a challenge here, I guarantee that you'll feel like me. So that was 12 years ago, and I have absolutely zero regrets of walking into the class that day. And if you hang with us, over time you get connected. You allow the word of God to penetrate your heart and mind and saturate your soul. I guarantee you that some time will go by and you will not regret the move that you have made this morning. So we thank you for being here. And if you'd like to connect, please see me after the sermon. I'll be to your right. We can chat and make the next move with you. So as we move on to this idea of peace, I want you to know that peace is first and foremost throughout Scripture. It's anchored in this idea that there's been some kind of disruption between us and God. So time and time again, when you read about peace in the New Testament, it's usually aligned with this idea that God is making peace with people through his son, Jesus Christ. And if you think about the story that we just told, that connects. And I bet it connects with you because I know it connected with a gal in the New Testament. It was probably hard for her to walk into this room. She knew Jesus was there, and she probably was well aware of who else was involved in this meeting or dinner or celebration or whatever it was, this get-together. And she goes in, and she finds Jesus. And there's some other people there probably focused on her issues because chances are she was probably a prostitute. And she's in the middle of this crowd, this small crowd, And she finds Jesus, and incidentally, she has this very expensive jar of perfume. And she pours it out, not on the ground, but she pours it on the feet of Jesus. And then she does something that's kind of weird to us, but if you do some research and see what was going on, it's a really fascinating story. She washes the feet of Jesus with her hair. Everybody's in in an uproar except for our Lord. He gets what's going on. Her tears are soaked, soaking the feet of Jesus along with this perfume. And as she raises up, Jesus says these words to her, but you can hear them reverberating through the room because he's also speaking to everyone else present. And in Luke chapter 7, we read, Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. We want to treat the word peace like we did last week. Remember how we defined faith? It's this idea of following through with God. This idea of following through with God, that's faith. It's more than just belief. Beliefs can be superficial or subjective. But it's that faith is a blend of belief and trust. You have these beliefs, and then you learn to trust God regardless of what's going on. And that can be very fragile to a fresh believer, especially when they hear messages. If you get your life right, 
God can transform you or God can shape things up for you. And someone hears that and they think, hey, if I start going to church or if I start praying or if I start reading my Bible, then everything should fall into place. But some of you seasoned saints know that that's not always the case. So faith is this blend of belief and trust that we can trust God regardless of what is going on in life, good, bad, or indifferent. We know who we are in him, and it doesn't shake us, as the song said. When the world's shaking, even our world is shaking, we can stand firm in him. So it's the idea with peace as well. So he tells this lady, hey, your faith, this belief, this blend of belief and trust that saved you, now I want you to go in peace. You'll hear Monty and I, we talk a lot about a Hebrew word or the Greek word says this. If you're new to church, we do that simply because when you read your Old Testament, the Old Testament part of the Bible, we translate that into English from Hebrew. And similarly with the New Testament, we translate it into English from Greek. So sometimes, like with the word faith or with the word peace, we lose just a little bit of the thrust or the power of a term. So when we read that word peace, we're not talking about this absence of conflict. And if you're thinking about peace in that way, you're way off biblically. It's not just the absence of conflict. Or maybe you're thinking of peace as, I feel good all the time, no matter what's going on. That's a little misleading as well. The idea of peace from the Greek language implies wholeness. Wholeness. In other words, there's a part of your life that is out of order. Or you're distracted. You're divided. Something is pulling your attention away from God or your God-given role on this planet. So you're not complete. There isn't a holistic application to your faith. Wholeness. So Jesus would say to this lady, hey, your faith has saved you, and this part of your life was out of whack, and you came to me. You're saved. Now go in peace. Go in wholeness. This part of your life stays here, and there's a change. There's more alignment with who I am. And isn't that really interesting? And maybe that's the shot of Scripture you need this morning. Anytime that someone does something in the New Testament, and this is shocking, Anytime someone does something in the New Testament, if they sin, they mess up. Have you ever noticed how they go to Jesus to apologize or repent? As if Jesus is ultimately the offended party. You and I can have a rift, but we also need to make that right with God as well. Because that rift implies that something is off or out of balance and God wants to transform that into wholeness. So it's not a pattern. It doesn't repeat itself. And I think it's fascinating that we find this lady. You turn the pages of Scripture, and she pops up again in a story. We go on to Luke chapter 10. So Jesus and his disciples came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary. Mary, the woman from Luke chapter 7, who is to go in peace who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. And isn't that fitting? Can I check in with you as one of the pastors here and ask you, because I know maybe it's the Christmas season, 
some additional responsibilities at work or at home, just, you know, the hustle and bustle, that grind is intensified throughout the holiday season. Maybe it's that that's got you a little off. But let me ask, how is your listening to the Lord going lately? How's your listening to the Lord going lately? Nine out of ten times when someone comes to me, and I know this is true through casual conversations. I know it's through because of my own life. When something's off, when I can't put my finger on it, when life's spinning out of control, going a little too fast, when things aren't clicking with the wife or the children or something's out of line or out of sync in the office, I can typically trace it back to my quiet time is non-existent. This lady goes in peace. She goes in wholeness. And she finds herself sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening. If he's able to speak into that part of her life, maybe he has more to say as well. And I know that's true because of conversations I've had with you and other people. Something doesn't feel right in life. It's not firing on all cylinders. And we talk about the quiet time. We talk about your prayer life. We talk about the Bible reading. And it's not there. So I'm learning to play the saxophone. Micah, are you here? I'm going to try out for the band around next Christmas, okay? I'm working on silver bells right now. It's not that good. And I can play a really weird version of Amazing Grace. It's got some additional high notes and low notes at the wrong places. But if you heard it, you would know that it's, it's, it's amazing grace for all intents and purposes, okay? It's, it's basically the song. So when I really started making progress, though, with this, and I've only been doing a handful of months, when I really started making progress, here's something I noticed. When my teacher was telling me about these notes and time and all that jazz rhythm, still words that I probably don't understand fully, it was complicated. And he kept telling me that there was a language to music. It's a language that you have to learn. So I'm working through these individual notes, holding them for the right time and duration and listening to the sound and all that. And it's still like a puzzle. Then he hands me a sheet with all of the notes so that I could start working through the entire song and not just having a note here, a note there. And things started to click. It made more sense when I saw the bigger picture or I saw the language laid out, if you will. I envision Mary having a similar experience. It's not like she goes to this helm and washes the feet of Jesus and then she leaves and peace and all that great words like kind of a church service. We get fired up. Something speaks to us. We love the worship. There's a line in the message and it moves us until we leave. But that's not the case with Mary. She's not focused on these individual notes, but she wants to learn the language of Jesus, her Savior. So sometime goes by and she finds herself at the feet, listening, learning, taking it all in. Wholeness. What more does he have to say? So before we move on, one more time. I'm talking to cultivate as well. How is your listening to the Lord going lately? Is it non-existent? Or are you trying to learn the language of your Savior, Jesus Christ? Uh, The story goes on, and we kind of see what happens when peace isn't present. So we go on. So Martha 
She, on the other hand, she's distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. And the qualification isn't there. So maybe these distractions are good. Maybe what she's doing is noble. Maybe everybody should be involved in something similar. Great. But she's distracted by these preparations that have to be made. So she comes to Jesus, and notice what she says. She asked him, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me? She's left me to do the work by myself. Tell her to help me. Have you ever seen that play out? Maybe in your life presently or maybe someone else's life. But when you don't have this wholeness being attached to who you are, when peace isn't present in your life, this is often the reaction. And maybe you've said this before yourself. God, don't you even care? You see what I'm going through? You see what I'm up against? You see where I'm spending my time? Don't you care is a response. And then maybe you've got someone in your life and maybe you're this person for some people. Notice the second thing she says. Tell her to help me. There are some people I've got probably three to five that I can think of off the top of my head. I have to be very, very careful around these individuals because their lives are chaotic. They're out of control, too rapid, too divided, too disconnected. There isn't much wholeness there. And if I'm not careful, they can slowly bring me into that. Just like Martha. God, don't you care? Tell them to help me. After all, this is about me, right? And maybe you've got that. And it's disrupting your peace because someone's bringing you into the chaos. If you want to talk about that, we can. It's a boundaries issue. I have something exciting happening. In mid-January, we've got one of our 9 o'clock classes. There's going to be a tweak in the focus of that class. And the issue is going to be centered around the idea of boundaries and learning to establish healthy boundaries in our relationships with other people. And what we can see through the writings of Henry Cloud, who anchors all of his teaching in Scripture, is that some of us grew up in homes or environments where there was no such thing as clearly defined boundaries in any sense of the term. So now we're adults walking around and we don't have a sense of boundaries and relationships. And that's causing many of the rifts. So Adam Smith's going to be focusing on this idea of boundaries for several weeks and coaching people up and helping them walk through below-the-surface understanding of who they are and why they're facing certain problems. So around mid-January, look out for that teaching. It's going to be phenomenal, and we hope you take a part of that. So when we're talking about this idea of peace, it's wrapped up not just in the absence of conflict, but in the idea of wholeness. And I ask you about your prayer life for one simple reason. Peace Peace from God is the result of an engaged prayer life. Look at Philippians chapter 4. Paul says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. Now, time out for a second. I don't want you to think that Scripture is saying if you have anxiety, and maybe you have general anxiety disorder, maybe you have a prescription for some of the anxiety, don't take this as a slap in the face. This isn't a punch in the gut for you like, okay, you're way off track here. This is a warning or a heads up from Paul saying, hey, don't be anxious. If you do, here's what's going to happen. Anxiety leads to the God, don't you care? 
God, tell them to change instead of me. Anxiety can lead that way. So this is just be alert. When worry, deep concern, anxiety seems like it's taking over, check yourself. Do some introspection, some self-regulation. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, whatever's going on, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Now hang on this screen for just a second. I'd love to know your one-word definition of prayer. What would be your one-word definition of prayer? Because we have a Greek term that we translate into English for prayer. But what is prayer? And currently, what is prayer? What is its role in your life? What place does prayer have in your life presently? So I don't want you to get hung up on a lot of this. Basically, Paul's saying, hey, your petitions, your felt needs, those things you really feel tugged about that you need to talk with God about, your requests, things that you want to see happen, wisdom that you want to receive. When you approach God in prayer, do so with thanksgiving, acknowledge, acknowledging how he's been there for you in the past, how he's helped out, acknowledging all that you have, and then bring these felt needs, bring these requests to God, do it through thanksgiving, but that's your prayer basically. So don't get hung up in the, it's kind of cumbersome to read through that, don't get hung up in that. But the idea of prayer, when we translate it, comes from a Greek word, prosukomai, which is an interesting word because it's a compound term. It's broken up into pros and yukomai. Now, pros means toward, or in this case, exchange, exchange. And yukomai means wish. So your prayer and my prayer, when we approach God, his throne of grace, and we're praying to him, it's an exchange of wishes, if you will. You may think of Jesus in the garden where he comes and he's feeling the burden of being led to the cross to die for the sin of humanity. And in the garden, he prays three times, God, I'm feeling this. This is heavy. Is there another way? And then he says, but not my will, Thy will be done. There's an exchange taking place. So when we come to God, we do bring these felt needs. We do bring our requests. We do so in a thankful spirit, but we also come before him and say, not my will, yours be done. Whatever I'm thinking, the direction I'm considering, I want to exchange that for what you want in my life. And that's imperative. When you and I come to God and we plead out, regardless of what's going on, and we exchange that, notice what follows. You come to God in that kind of prayer, and the peace, the wholeness of God, not just our limited view, the wholeness of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. There's not a promise that the circumstances will change or shift. There is a promise that deep within your emotional engine of the heart and your mind, where you reach bottom level conclusions in your heart and your mind, you will experience peace that you can't explain. Stuff's going on and you want to say, God, don't you care? God, there's no one around me to help. You want to say that, but you've got this peace that you're experiencing because you have approached God and you've exchanged your wish for his. So when you think about unwrapping peace, 
You can't think about this real gift that comes from God without considering what's going on in your prayer life. And how is your listening to the Lord going lately? Now, can I make a hard right turn? Hard right turn for some application. And I want to make a hard right turn, but I want to ask your permission to do so because it may be really invasive into someone's life. Is that okay? Can I have your permission? Some of you are like, yeah, yeah, maybe. Okay, gotcha. All right. So we talk a lot about discipleship around this church. We drop that phrase, making disciples, or the idea of discipleship. We talk about it all the time. You'll hear Monty refer to our mission is to reach the 40509 area and beyond with a message of the gospel so that we can make disciples. And when I think about discipleship, I think about it with this idea of peace or wholeness, if you will. Discipleship. And and I want to raise the bar on discipleship just a little so that we never run the risk of reducing discipleship to simply reading your Bible more. I don't want to reduce it to the idea of sharing my faith with someone. We want to take more of a holistic approach to discipleship, if you will. And we get this definition from Matthew chapter 28. You familiar with that? You'll hear Monty or myself or someone in your small group, your life group, your D group. They'll refer to the Great Commission. Or maybe you hear someone around here say, we're a Great Commission church. That's our mission where everyone is taking full responsibility for discipling their children and their neighbors and their extended family and those that they meet out and about in the world or the daily grind of life. We want to disciple them. But we want to raise the bar just a little bit on discipleship and reinforce the words of Jesus when he tells us to go and make disciples and how to do it. So we'll read this together, not in full voice, just follow along. Matthew 28, Jesus says, go and make disciples. That's the objective. That's what you do. And now he qualifies how. You baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then you teach them everything I've commanded you. Everything. That's why Monty and I take great pains to cover a lot of Scripture, Old and New Testament. That's why your life group will have certain Bible studies. That's why your D group encourages you to spend time daily in the Word of God so that you're learning everything that Jesus taught, or so that when you become a Christ follower, and metaphorically you have washed the feet of Jesus with your hair, it doesn't end there. But wholeness leads you to find yourself sitting at his feet, listening to him over and over and over again. So this idea of peace or wholeness consumes you. It takes over. It takes the divided parts where you're separated and fractured and scattered in your own heart and mind. And you bring that to God in deep, intentional prayer. You exchange your wishes for his. And then he gives you peace to flow with that. Everything. Where I find the imbalance is this. And I find it both interesting But I have to be honest with you, I also find it alarming. So I want to use this moment as an invitation. 
Maybe you don't know about this. Maybe you're unaware of this, and this is your first time hearing it. Please tune in. Or maybe this has been something you've heard the phrasing or terminology before, but you've never really tapped into what that means for your life. Please tune in. In first service, Monty had the privilege of baptizing a little gal. How old was she, Monty? Six. Six baptizing. And never knock the age. I'll never knock it. I've seen countless times where a child gets baptized, and I can't explain it. But the child just has this understanding of God, and maybe it's beyond her peers. And the child is baptized. And God does a profound work in this child's life over their lifetime. Their years of adolescence and teenage and their young adult years. Phenomenal work. Monty baptized this gal. And I don't know if you've noticed, but we've had a surge in baptism recently. Have you noticed that? Therefore, a few weeks, it was every Sunday, and occasionally it was multiple times on a Sunday, people getting baptized because we started talking about it. We started talking about this idea of baptism and how it goes hand in hand with discipleship. Jesus said you make disciples by baptizing them, and then you teach them everything, everything, wholeness. So I assume that there's something that is not clicking with you. There's some distractions like Martha. You're divided, maybe in your own mind or heart, or maybe with someone else. Their wholeness or that peace isn't part of your life this season. Is it for one of these reasons? A couple of really brief stories as we tie this up. A few weeks ago, two out of three Sundays, we dropped this idea of baptism and how important it is how it's a part of the discipleship process that can't be overlooked. It's an equally important part, just like repentance or belief or confession or faith or living this life, this Christian life out, equally important. So we had two individuals who hung, hung out right after second service and they said, hey, on the spot right now, I can't wait any longer. I've never been baptized. I can't wait for family to come in. I don't want to do it on the one-year anniversary of committing my life to Christ. I want to do it right now. And we baptize both of those individuals. I think that's beautiful. I think it's awesome. And I think that same scenario probably applies to a handful of you this morning. Where you've been met with the word of God and how it can speak to you and bring completeness or wholeness into your life. And you feel that. You're feeling something stirring inside of you. And now is your time to make a move. So if this is your first time hearing, that's great. There's nothing that should stand in your way to make that application. Or maybe you've been around here for a while and people know you as a Christ follower. So to actually get baptized seems a little anticlimactic or a little embarrassing to you. So I was talking with Hope Bertram and I asked her if I could use her story. And she said, absolutely, especially if it inspires someone else to movement. But we watched Hope Bertram recently get baptized, and she's one of the most active people in this church. She's doing great things and allowing God to work through her, heading up ministries, serving people, loving on people, and we know her as a Christ follower. But she stood in that baptistry because she said, I want to be wholly surrendered to my God. I need this to complete my commitment to Him. I amen that. 
And I think that may apply to a handful of you this morning. You know, we have robes. We've got some black robes. We've got some white robes in the back. We've got some shorts, and maybe this applies. I know this for the guys, maybe not for the gals. We've got shorts and shirts of varying sizes. If those scenarios apply to you, there is absolutely no reason for you to leave this building without making that move and experiencing wholeness in your commitment to Jesus Christ. Two brief verses to see if they make sense to what's going on inside of you as you're seated there. Philip was a guy who was an apostle of Jesus. And the Spirit says, hey, Philip, I have someone I want to want you to speak to. Kind of like you've got someone speaking to you this morning. So Philip listens and he goes up to this chariot and there's this guy from Ethiopia. He's in Jerusalem and he's on his way back. And he went to like the Lifeway or Barnes and Noble and he picked up a scroll, the scroll of Isaiah, which was written 800 years before Jesus. And he's reading through it. So Philip goes up to the guy's chariot and says, hey, um, I know this is weird, but do you understand what you're reading? And the guy says, well, I'm trying, but how can I unless someone explains it to me? So Philip begins with that very passage of scripture that was written 800 years before Jesus came on the scene. And he preaches and teaches to this guy. And do you know what this guy from Ethiopia, do you know what his response to this is? We read it in Acts chapter 8. As they rode along... They came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? Whatever Philip told him about Jesus, there was this response, this reaction in this guy's heart and mind that says, I need to do this. I need that wholeness or that completeness. So I say to you, Look, there's some water. Why shouldn't you be baptized? What's holding you back? One of the big dogs of the New Testament, the Apostle Paul. You know Paul. He's giving his his testimony, recounting how he came to faith. He's talking about on that road to Damascus and being blind for a few days and meeting up with a guy named Ananias and scales falling off of his eyes and that commitment and hearing the Lord of the voice, just giving his story. And as he recounts his story, he includes this one particular part that played out. Acts twenty two sixteen, He heard, and now, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash away your sins, calling on his name. So I think it's part of my pastoral responsibility to ask you the question, What are you waiting for? If you've never been baptized, but you've been a Christ follower or part of this church for a long time, what are you waiting for? Get up. Be baptized. Maybe this is the first you've heard of it because this is your your first time in church and you're fresh to this area. It still applies to you. What are you waiting for? Get up. Be baptized. And wash away your sins. And meet this guy, Jesus, who can make you whole, complete, and give you the real gift of peace. Father, we thank you for taking the initiative 
to lay your life down for us, to give us every single bit of who you are. Father, we pray for movement this morning, for anyone who needs to move toward you in a more complete, in a more complete way. They're learning everything and how it applies to them, but they've never made that moment of, that connection of baptism where they die to their sins, they're buried and they're raised to new life, just like that beautiful little girl was in first service. Father, if there's anyone here that that scenario pertains to, may they not leave this building without experiencing that peace, that wholeness that comes with being a disciple of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray and we praise you. If you want to talk more about that, if you want me to get a robe ready, I'll be to your right. So let me know.